Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Have you ever wondered if you're a little bit different than other folks, if things kind of hit you a little harder, and then if you happen to be successful at what you do, and you've got those two things going on, how do you balance them? And add into that the possibility that with all that going on, you might become more attractive to a toxic relationship. You're going to want to listen to today's show. My guest is Diane Wingert, and we are going to talk about ADHD. We're going to talk about how people get into relationships, what attracts them, and what other people are attracted by. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. I'm so glad you're here because it means you may have just found the podcast and you're excited to get information, or you may have found it before and found value when you're returning. In either case, I'm so glad that you're here. Today, I'm going to be talking with my friend and colleague, Diane Wingert, and we are going to be talking about something we've never really discussed in depth on this program, and that is ADHD success high-profile jobs, and what that could possibly have to do with toxic relationships. So welcome to the program, Diane. I have been so looking forward to joining you. And I've been looking forward to it too, because this big first that we're actually going to talk primarily about ADHD and toxic relationships. So let me tell everybody a little bit about why I'm so excited to have you here. Diane is a mindset and productivity coach for female entrepreneurs and the ones who know they could be in a much better place. They just know it in their heart, but they're having a little trouble getting over the hump. And she helps them do that. During her 20-year career as a licensed psychotherapist, because you can see why she and I want to talk, um, she has seen brilliant and ambitious women struggle with things like procrastination and perfection and perfection and people pleasing and self-doubt and imposter syndrome and all those things that cause you to second guess yourself and so she found some answers and she found that she was more effective working in the world of coaching and consulting to take it to more people and make it more available to them so she shifted from psychotherapy as the name of what she does and of course, she still does it where every time she talks to a coaching client, there's a little bit of that thrown in there. So I have been excited to talk to Diane. And we're going to talk about some very important things because she says her superpower is helping driven women eliminate everything that holds them back from succeeding. So everything that holds them back. One of the things is ADHD, right? Indeed. And as a matter of fact, 
It's very surprising to many people to learn that the fastest growing group of individuals being identified, and I, I prefer the term identified over diagnosed, but the fastest growing group of people finding out they have ADHD turn out to be women over 40. Now, sometimes they kind of fall into being identified because one or more of their children have been brought to the pediatrician or the child psychiatrist. And when they start to do the history of the child's symptoms and behaviors, they begin to ask mom or dad questions that will then, little by little, lead the woman to think, is this genetic? Because it sounds a lot like me. That being said, um, I have been working exclusively with high potential, high achieving, high ability women with ADHD, many of whom didn't know it until well into adulthood. And it was surprising to me to discover how many of them have, let's say, complicated relationship histories. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's a very unique piece of the population. Mm -hmm. And if you just perked up at that moment, you know, you can find Diane at dianewingertcoaching.com. And that's Diane now, two N's, no E, Wingert, W-I-N-G-E-R-T, coaching.com. Because this is a very special place you might find yourself in that intersection of all those things she just mentioned. And, you know, 25 years ago, when ADHD started to be talked about more and more, maybe 30 years now, it was like, oh, the new kid on the block. Like everybody was getting diagnosed. Ritalin was the drug of choice. Here we go. Woohoo. And at that time, I was principal of a school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so people were coming to me. You know, I have my private practice on the side and raising three kids alone. And people were coming to me at school and saying, well, the doctor says I have ADHD. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. You're just totally. Uh, traumatized, you're disorganized, you don't have ADHD, but you think a medication's going to help. So what's been the growth since that time when it was the panacea and it was everybody's problems for not succeeding to understanding now what that actually means? Such a good question. Well, at the time that you were a principal of school and ADHD made it to the cover of Time magazine in the 90s, I had just finished my first of several careers in medical sales, went back to school at UCLA and was halfway through a graduate degree in social work on to becoming a um, professor and a social worker and a psychotherapist. I was studying little boys with ADHD at the Neuropsych Institute at UCLA because, and I should say one of the things that prompted me into this career change was my First of three children, my son at that time was eight years old, very troublesome behavior starting at age two and had become diagnosed with ADHD. So one thing led to another. I learned so much about him. I became prompted to go back to school and learn even more so I could help families like ours. So I'm working with a group of boys, social skills group with boys at UCLA Neuropsych Institute. And I started thinking maybe if I could meet with their parents instead of just working with the kids that this time we spend together every week in this group might have more lasting value. Maybe I could give them some strategies they could use at home or ways that they could talk to the teachers and help them more at school. 
and no surprise between you and I at this point, but as I started to meet the parents, I started thinking, I don't think this goes away. Now, again, this was the 90s and ADHD in adulthood wasn't even added to the psychiatric manual until 2000. So I was a little bit ahead of time. And I started meeting all these parents. I started seeing all these traits and behaviors. And I kept hearing from so many of them, we didn't think there was anything wrong with Joey, Johnny, Billy, Tommy. He's just like the husband, right? So I questioned whether ADHD was something that continued into adulthood. But at the time, my supervisors and preceptors said, no, we know that it goes away by adolescence. Well, I ended up doing my thesis on it because I was pretty convinced that it did persist, finished my education, went on with my life. A few years later, my daughter in college is identified with ADHD. And then fast forward many years later, I myself was eventually identified. What's happened in the meantime, and why are women over 40 now the biggest group? Well, after that initial rush of is ADHD, you know, the, the, the diagnosis of the decade, so to speak, is it just little boys or do little boys become big boys and they still have it? But even then, Roberta, no one was talking about girls and no one was talking about women. No one was looking for it. And I would say that ADHD has been hiding in plain sight all this time. What we now know is that it looks different in girls. Girls tend to be more inattentive and distractible, where boys tend to be more hyperactive and impulsive. Um, If a girl is chatty, but she can sit still, she's not going to be identified, but her hyperactivity is the fact that she talks when she should be quiet. So I think it's not understanding the gender differences and also not understanding that very smart, high ability, even high achieving people can still have ADHD, but they've learned some workarounds and they've learned some ways to manage it, such as regular vigorous exercise that allowed them to fly under the radar of the diagnosis. Now it seems like everywhere I go, I I see people that have ADHD and I'm guessing twice as many people officially, there's twice as many people who have it than officially have it. Because most people who have it don't know. They're, they think they're stupid. They think they're lazy. They think they are unmotivated. They think they just don't try hard enough. They have negative thoughts about themselves, but they don't know that they actually would qualify for a diagnosis. And I think that's one of the reasons why many of them find themselves in unhealthy and toxic relationships. Wow, that was a lot to... to, to lot to process. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, I think, too, we get, a, we, we at least early on, would have a connection in our mind between ADHD and a person who processes kinesthetically. Like just because a child would be sitting in class, for instance, tapping a pen and getting up and wanting to go to the restroom Mm -hmm. and do all of that, we would say, oh, well, you know, they're a prime candidate for uh, Ritalin because then they'll sit in the desk. But the fact of the matter was, were they paying attention? Were they, were they using that movement in order to stay tuned in? Exactly. That movement to distract and move out. So we've come a long way in that, in that 30 years. But 
you moved into a territory that people listening really want to hear about. Like if that happened to be prevalent in your background, or if that was something that went unidentified in you, that could probably be a reason too for you to look and say, yeah, that made me very attractive to the people that I call hijackals. Because if you are a person who is supposedly distractible, Mm -hmm. then the sleight of hand games emotionally could go by you, right? You can gaslight a woman with ADHD easier than a woman who doesn't have it for a few reasons. Number one, as I've mentioned, by the time she's an adult, she's already been thinking, I'm stupid, I'm lazy, I'm crazy, I'm unmotivated, I can't pay attention. There's often a lot of problems with memory. You know, everybody talks about, you know, walking into a room and forgetting why they're there. But if you have ADHD, that's a regular occurrence. You may write down your grocery list and leave for the store with the list on the counter. Everyone does these things sometimes. But if you actually have ADHD, you do them on the regular. Well, you can imagine that self-talk over time can become pretty malignant. I mean, a lot of women, even the really smart, really successful ones that I work with, the way they talk to themselves is just horrible. And it's it's a habit. They learned it long ago and they just keep on thinking, oh man, why can't I just get my stuff together? Why am I so forgetful? Why do I keep making the same mistakes? If I could just, you know, or I procrastinate till the last minute on everything and then it has to be just right. So I miss the deadline, all of these things that happen. So when you have a hijackal in your life, All they have to do is listen to the way you talk to yourself and they have some real good clues for how they can gaslight you. For example, um, expressing concern about your poor memory may sound like a supportive partner, but what they're really doing is sticking it to you in the most tender part of your low self-esteem. Right. Yeah, they really like to pick at your vulnerabilities. And what a person who's longing to be known, and then they start to date somebody who is in the chameleon stage of being a hijackal. So I will be everything you ever wanted me to be. I will listen intently to what makes you happy, and I will be that or give that or do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like reeling you in. And in that situation, then you tell tender things. You've longed for someone to share your vulnerabilities with. Like, you know, I really am forgetful. And it's something that you know, I feel really badly about it. It's kind of embarrassing. And the hijackle goes, ooh, ding, 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 mm-hmm. ding. I, I know where I can get her later or I can get him later because there are equal number of hijackles that are male and female, just like ADHD presenting. They present a little differently, but just as many of them. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for those vulnerabilities so they can go, oh, soft spot and touch it. And then make, then like, why are you, you told me that. You know, I didn't make that up. <laughs> right. You were you were the one that brought up your memory problems. I was just agreeing with you. I mean, it's perfectly obvious you can't remember things. 
Yes. Yeah. So why are you making me wrong for that? You're the one who has the problem. And you can see, and everybody listening, you know from listening to other episodes that a hijackal is looking for your soft spots and they will become all tender and mushy and sweet and loving in order to get you to divulge them and feel safe enough to have that connection that you really wanted to have and thought you were having. So they, they'll even go back and hook you in after they've been nasty to you to get you to give them a little more ammunition to beat you up with. So if you're ADHD and you are in that situation where someone is paying attention to you and you are feeling like you are safe and you divulge things, you are simply handing them a brief on how to embarrass you, how to keep you in low self-esteem, how to keep you second-guessing yourself. So that's a big deal. So if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, Diane just said women over 40 are the fastest growing number of people coming to this realization. Wow, I never thought of myself. I was so busy raising my kids or so busy doing these things. I didn't even stop to think, is that what's causing what's going on for me that I find so frustrating and causes me to think less of myself? So that might be a really good clue. I'll just say again, if you want to talk to Diane, go to Diane with no E and two N's, Wingert, W-I-N-G-E-R-T.com and learn more about that. So a, a toxic person, a hijackal, you know, for those of you who haven't listened to me before, that's my term. I trademarked it. Why did I trademark it? Because I don't want you running off to the Google goddess saying, here's what's happening in my relationship, and then mistaking the Google goddess for a clinical mental health professional. <laughs> that, <laughs> she's not that, folks. She's an index. You put in behaves this way, she says, oh, narcissistic, um, has nothing to do with you and that person. It has to do with the words you put in there. So I wanted a term that we could talk about the patterns, traits, cycles, and behaviors of people that are predictable and that you can notice over time. And I gave that the term hijackles because that's how those people behave. So if you're new and that that term is not part of what you've been thinking about, now you'll know what I'm talking about. So I wanted to ask you uh, something. You, you, you had this quote, Diane, and I will read it for everybody. You said, we develop all this resiliency through our efforts to try to conform. Mm. Maybe your ADHD will be concealed, but your giftedness will also be suppressed. And that's a shame because it's your magic. Mm -hmm. Now, that dichotomy where you can get really caught, you're making yourself small with your self-talk, and yet you have these phenomenal insights and skills, and the balance gets off frequently. And in that balance being off, you may be susceptible to a toxic person coming and saying, I'm going to grab yeah. you, I'm going to pull you in, right? Yes, it's so remarkable and it's so confusing and contradictory to the person experiencing it and to all their friends. I mean, just imagine this. You've got a brilliant woman. She may be highly educated and very successful and very well respected in her field. And very likely her ADHD is passing for normal. Before I was identified with ADHD, 
I knew there was something different about me. In fact, if you have ADHD as an adult, you've always had it. There's no such thing as adult onset ADHD. You may be distracted. You may be anxious. You may have memory problems that are related to stress and trauma and anxiety and all kinds of other things. But if you actually have ADHD, you've had it ever since childhood. It it doesn't emerge later on. But if you're smart and resilient and resourceful, and you've been able to cover it up and suppress it, it has been at the expense of what some people like to call your ADHD superpowers. What might they be? Typically, for an ADHD woman, creativity, out-of-the-box thinking, problem-solving, intuition, a unique perspective where connections can be made between things that other people wouldn't be able to recognize. You see many successful women with ADHD in the creative fields, also in fields that require them to think quickly under pressure, because that's another trait. And I think in public school, we have to sit still, be quiet, wait our turn, not bother other kids, Uh, not interrupt the teacher, not ask too many questions, um, not daydream, not, not wiggle, not fidget. And that's a lot for someone with ADHD. So all of the energy that gets devoted to suppressing all that excitement and creativity in the brain means that all the good stuff that comes with being this way gets suppressed as well. Well, fast forward, now you are a grown up and you are suppressing all of that in the boardroom. You are suppressing all of that at a Zoom meeting. You are suppressing, you suppress it regularly in your real life. But let's say your hijackal is your romantic partner. Well, that's usually the one person that gets to see the real you, where you get to let your hair down, you get to take off your defenses and just be who you are. So they're going to be the one who knows that maybe you have addictive tendencies with sugar, or they're going to be the ones that are going to hear about all the crazy risk-taking things you did as a teenager, which is very common for those with ADHD. They're going to know all of the things that you are most ashamed of about yourself. And there's also something else I should mention that's It's recently becoming better understood about adults with ADHD, and that is rejection sensitivity. Oh, yes. Now, this is something I I was hoping that we would talk about because rejection sensitivity is considered to be very common to people with ADHD, but it's only recently being well understood. In fact, most people refer to it as yet another acronym, rejection sensitive dysphoria. It can cause people to think that they're bipolar or a borderline personality disorder because when they feel criticized or rejected uh, by another person, even even if it's just an, an intuitive sense because of the way the person is looking at them or maybe they're rolling their eyes or they're scoffing at what they're saying or just turning away when they're still talking, it could be the slightest breach and it could be a manipulate manipulation of the hijackal. That woman with ADHD can really go down a shame spiral and then start to behave in a way that may look, let's just say, a little hysterical. 
that will be something that the hijackal will absolutely capitalize on, thereby making the woman even less likely to trust herself and her emotional reactions. But yet you can see how it would become a real dynamic that would just keep being perpetuated in the relationship. And I've seen that in a lot of my clients, sad to say. Oh, that's that's a really big deal because if you have been told you should pay attention, you talk too much in class, you do all of these things, those are those are shaming things. Yes. It's saying you are not good enough, you are not right enough, you are not appropriate enough, you mm-hmm. you, you know, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And so yes, that sensitivity to rejection becomes hairline sense of justice mm-hmm. for many people mm-hmm. because okay that that's a, that's a potential downfall for me there it goes again mm-hmm. and and you start building up a a place in you that goes nobody wants me i am never yes. good enough that is like self grooming Mm. With that self-talk to get you ready for the hijackal to swoop in and have a really quick period of time to enact what I call the gotcha factor. Mm. That is that they want to see how they can pull you in, usually get you to agree to marry them, marry them, uh, get pregnant or move in together um, in the shortest possible time. So they have the greatest potential for having power over you. And if you're already pre-groomed for all of that, and then they come in and they pick up a few of your sensitivities and then they play on them, you are comfortably uncomfortable in that relationship and somehow you relax as well you mm-hmm. say all right yes that person sees me they mm-hmm. they see that i am this incompetent person they see that i have these flaws and everything and even though the mind may go how dare you mm-hmm. there's this uncomfortable comfortableness with the familiarity of being in that situation the confirmation of your deepest life long fears that I am broken, I am damaged, I am defective, and no matter what I accomplish or achieve, I will never be okay. That is a very insidious trap for this woman in that relationship. Absolutely. Now, if you're just hearing that, and you are just hit right in the solar plexus. Notice that. Notice that. This may be new information. It may have been said in a way that you really were able to take it in. And if you're in a toxic relationship, now maybe you have a new idea of why you were susceptible to that. So as we're talking about these things and you become aware of that, know that there is many, many ways in which you can grow through this and beyond this, and that this is not a picture that we're painting of how your life is going to be. This is a picture of saying, maybe these things have been contributing factors to where you find yourself today. And if today you go, all right, I find myself there, I don't want to spend any more time there. Mm -hmm. Diana and I are both able to help you. But if you're in the ADHD part, you want to go over and see Diane. (laughs) So dianewingertcoaching.com. Diane with two N's, no E, D-I-A-N. 
D-I-A-N-N-W-I-N-G-E-R-T coaching.com. Because you can tell she has all the insights. She's going to shortcut your journey. She's going to ask you the right questions that are not going to go around in circles. She's going to be able to drive down deeply and help you quickly. And that's important. So we're susceptible if we're in that group. We're susceptible to a hijackle coming in and and picking us off like a nighthawk picks up a mouse, right? Like I say like a sitting duck in the shooting gallery. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, you've said that one of the strengths of ADHD, the brain is the ability to make connections in an intuitive way. So why wouldn't this help us see the hijackles patterns if our brain is so hyper capable of doing that? I am so glad you asked that because it is confounding. In my experience, in my belief, and I've because I'm completely surrounded by women with ADHD, my sister, my nieces, my daughter, myself, and all of my clients and many of my friends, I think we are born with a brain that is very intuitive because we can make connections between things and sense things that are maybe not self-evident to others. So I believe that women with ADHD can sense the abnormality in the hijackles approach in their behavior, in the inconsistencies between how they may behave at one time and then another, but we override our ability to lean into to trust our instincts and our intuition because of the persistent self-doubt and all the negative messages that we have internalized, the things that were said to us. I even had a teacher tell me that I raised my hand too often and I should give the other kids a chance. Now, I raised my hand a lot. You too, huh? I raised my hand a lot because... A, it helped me focus by anticipating the question the teacher was going to ask. And as soon as I knew what information she wanted, I put my hand up. I had to sit in the front row, center seat, so that I could stay focused. If I was in the back, I would be paying attention to the other students and what was going on outside the window. So, But being shamed for being eager, for being a quick thinker, for being able to anticipate what the teacher wanted and put my hand in the air instead of her thinking, wow, this girl's very bright and very eager. I need to give her some extra work to keep her occupied and stimulated. I got shut down for it. And I looked around and other people are like, yeah, why don't you give someone else a chance? And never mind, no one else wanted to put their hand up. But so here's the woman with these intuition instincts thinking, wait a second, why why is he talking to me this way when it is exactly the opposite of what he just said the other day, but yet the signal gets jammed, like the ability to trust that intuition and those instincts, the signal gets jammed because of all the negative self-talk and all the internalized negative beliefs about herself combined with the hijackles charm and confident delivery of the information she learns over time. I don't know what I'm doing. And sadly, Roberta, one of the things that 
I help my clients with is restoring their ability to trust their own decision-making capacity uh, because I believe they do know best. They are good decision-makers, but that signal has been drowned out with all the negative messaging that creates self-doubt and procrastination and perfectionism. Because if I can't make good decisions and I can't trust myself, I'm going to try to avoid making them as long as possible. And even when I do, I I need them to be perfect or I'm just going to feel doomed to failure. It's, It's really, it's a very exciting thing to transform because I think these women are so brilliant and have so many gifts to share with the world that the biggest obstacle of all is their negative self-evaluation. And if they happen to have a hijackle in their life, who is gumming up the works? An opportunist. Yeah, because that's what they're looking for. They're like that nighthawk mm-hmm. who's looking for the, you know, the eyes. Easy prey. Yeah, like, oh, there's one. There's one who's kind of giving away their power because they've been groomed to give away their power. Like other people can see that I am a procrastinator. Other people can see that I'm not perfect. And then when that person says it, they think, oh, yeah, they know, they see me. And, you know, a hijackle will say this phrase, and I want everybody to just perk up if you hear someone say this. I know you better than you know yourself. Mm, Dangerous. Yes. If that happens to you and you hear someone say that, even your mother and you're an adult, you say, Mm-mm, no, no, no. Let me run away and evaluate myself in this situation because I know myself better. And if I don't, I'm going to go to a therapist. I'm not going to have someone holding that over me. Mm. Because if someone says to you, I know you better than you know yourself, and they are grooming you to be their romantic partner, they're saying, I will get you to believe this and have power over you forever. And this is a very, very sad thing to do. So I really take your point about the rejection and also the second guessing, because even if you don't have ADHD, being with a hijackle will cause you to second guess yourself and question your sanity. It will cause you from the gaslighting, from the giving away of power, from just being a great human who gives people a second chance, the benefit of the doubt, a new beginning from having compassion, a hijackle sees that as, oh, great, live one here. Endless second chances for me. Yes, yes, yes. You know, the other day I put out a graphic. Actually, I put it on my, my, um, my Facebook page, not just not my page. I actually put it on my profile because it's so important. And the graphic said, Mm. and I paraphrase, um, are you, Except a a person who apologizes without changing their behavior is not apologizing, they're appeasing you. Mm. And it's really important to recognize that difference because a hijackle will promise you everything, promise to change, and they may change for a hot minute. And in that hot minute, you go back to, oh, there, I wasn't wrong. They are that wonderful person. And you go back to being hooked on hope that that person you fell in love with who doesn't exist and wasn't real, that was their chameleon get yourselves. You get hooked that you weren't wrong. 
that person really exists and they're just twisting mm. it long enough to get you to believe in them again. We call it hoovering. They suck you back in like a vacuum. You're like, oh, she was just about gone, but got her back. Got her back believing that I know her better than she knows herself. Oh, come to me, little girl. We got this nailed down. Now I can treat you as badly as possible because, of course, there's nothing good about you. You know that. You've admitted that to me yourself. You've always known you were damaged goods. Ooh. I mean, and if, and if you have an official diagnosis, just, I mean, if you think about it, I really would like ADHD to be renamed. It is a dopamine deficiency disorder. I'm so glad you said that. Let me just stop you right there because my next question was going to be, do you really think attention deficit hypersensitivity disorder names what's really going on? No, absolutely not. It is a dopamine deficiency disorder. And frankly, Roberta, we're both clinicians. So I, I can say this to you because you understand all of the training that we've had in mental health and in the brain and how it works. If your brain has a hard time producing dopamine and a hard time getting the dopamine it produces to do its job, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means there's a little bit of a chemical problem that may need some assistance and some support. But to say that you have a deficit and that you are disordered, I think is an absolute misnomer. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that rewards behavior by causing us, <clears throat> excuse me, by causing us to continue what we're doing. So when we do something that feels good and we have enough dopamine on board, we'll keep doing it. Well, no wonder people have a hard time following through, finishing what they start, walking into a room and forgetting why they're there when their dopamine isn't working properly. But that doesn't make them broken. It doesn't make them defective. I think ADHD has a terrible name for that reason because it's inaccurate and stigmatizing. And a lot of people, especially women, they are not hyperactive. They are distractible. They're inattentive. They are second guessing. They are, um, they may be dreamers. They are often extremely creative, but they could sit for 27 hours a day. They're not the least bit hyperactive. So there's just so much misunderstanding baked into the diagnosis. I mean, no wonder so many women make it to 40 and beyond, including myself. And I had seen not one, but several different therapists in the meantime. They couldn't I, figure it out. No, so well described, Diane. Everybody see why I was excited to have Diane on the program, because this is going to help you. This is a new thing to think about. It's a new approach. It can cause you to sit back and take a new perspective and say, does that fit for me? That's really important to do. And now I want to ask the million dollar question. If you can see all these things, why would a person with dopamine deficiency not step away from such a relationship? What would cause them to stay and take their lumps, which would go on forever and the lumps would get harder and bigger? Okay. A couple of reasons that uh, we have already described somewhat. 
Number one is that they don't trust their instincts and their negative self-talk allows them to be talked out of what they know in their gut is I need to get out of here. And, and I think just the tendency to believe over time that I actually don't deserve to be in a healthy, loving, mutually supportive relationship because we both know I'm broken. That's number one. Number two is that because of the dopamine deficiency, you've probably heard that many people with ADHD get involved with drugs, get involved with alcohol. Some of them even become criminals. It's been said that the prisons are full of people with unidentified ADHD. And the reason why is because of the dopamine deficiency, that's why we do things impulsively. Something seems like a good idea, so we jump at it. It's been it's kind of like um, ready, fire, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, fire. So the impulsivity, the hyperactivity, the risk-taking can cause us to jump into a situation without thinking it through. And once we're in it, unless we want to jump in and out of relationships one after the other and feel really out of control, we might stay in a relationship even when it doesn't feel good to us because we jumped into it in a in an impulsive way. Maybe we were drinking, maybe we were at a party, maybe a charming stranger swept us off our feet and we just impulsively in true ADHD fashion jumped in with both feet. And by the time we realized that we were getting some major red flags, we were already hooked. And it is true that many women with ADHD, even very successful ones, do have addictive tendencies because that is part of the brain chemistry of dopamine deficiency. It's very likely that the thing they become addicted to is the hijackle because of the intermittent reinforcement, hot, cold, hot, cold. The ADHD brain is very attracted to novelty. You've heard the squirrel and the shiny object syndrome comments, that's what they're talking about. When something is unpredictable, it grabs our attention better than anything. It's one of the reasons why people are always looking around and and looking for something new, and they call that shiny object syndrome. Well, a hijackal can do a very good job of providing you with shiny objects because they keep changing their own behavior and the way they relate to you. So that can be a hook that can be very hard for a woman with ADHD to pull out. Beautifully said. And I know we could talk about this forever, and I think we need to talk about it again. But for today, I hope you've learned something. I hope you've been triggered in your thinking to say, is that what's behind why I find this acceptable? Or is that why I've been in other relationships like this? So my guest today is Diane Wingert, D-I-A-N-N-W-I-N-G-E-R-T. You find her at dianewingertcoaching.com. Fascinating. Lots more to talk about. Thank you for being my guest, Diane. It's been delightful. Thank you so much for inviting me. We'll continue this conversation in a few months because I know you're going to be fascinated to learn even more because if this has been a moment when you went, ah, 
that's something I need to look into, go to dianewingertcoaching.com. And in the meantime, you know, if you've got relationship issues and you are with a toxic person or you're thinking that you are, I just put up a new checklist. Go to toxicrelationshipchecklists.com and take the free checklist. Find out. You think you're with a hijackable? Find out. It'll tell you there. And it's it's sitting there waiting for you. Toxicrelationshipchecklists.com. Dot com. And if you want to work with me, you know where to find me. You find me at 4, F-O-R, Relationship Help, H-E-L-P dot com, 4, Relationship Help dot com. Also, that's the name of my YouTube channel. So, YouTube.com slash 4, Relationship Help. And of course, there's over 150 episodes of Save Your Sanity. And while you're there, if you go to my website and click on podcast, you will also see that there's over 150. 50 episodes of guest interviews on emotional savvy sitting there waiting for you. So there is so much. Just do a search. Whatever is on your heart and your mind today, what you want to know about, just do a search. Go to my website, forrelationshiphelp.com, click on podcasts, search for what you're looking for. I bet you'll find it. And in the meantime, take very good care of yourself. You know why? You're precious and you matter. I look forward to talking with you really soon. And in the meantime, as I said, treat yourself as though you're precious. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that. And so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash save your sanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon. Thank you.